As we start today, I want to talk to you about something that um, I've never preached on in my entire life, not a whole sermon, Uh, just little bits and pieces here and there. So we're going to start today with a pair share. I want you to talk with the person next to you, try to give a definition to this word, and not just a definition, but also how you put this word into practice. The word is Sabbath. Go ahead, pair share. All right. So here's a word for you. Work. Hard work. Work. Hard work. Say it louder for the new generation. In my family, hard work is a virtue. What is the opposite of work? Sloth, there it is, lazy, laziness. If hard work is a virtue, then laziness is a vice. Am I right? The Proverbs speak all over the place that laziness is a vice. And make no mistake, uh, I was raised to value hard work, as I'm sure some of you were as well. Second Thessalonians 3.10 says, For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. That right there, that was a very important verse in my upbringing. Was it important for you? Hard work is something we're supposed to be about as followers of Jesus Christ. Does everybody agree with that? That's it? That's all you got? I thought you'd be a little bit more excited. Do you agree with that? Yes. See, we live in a place right here in Bertha, Minnesota, in the Midwest, where work, and I mean hard work, is valued. It's valued. You know, I I go up to people and they shake my hand and they're like, well, I can tell you're a pastor. No calluses on your hands. Just for the record, I used to have calluses on my hands when I worked construction. I could callous with the best of you, okay? I'm sorry, but right now I make sermons as most of my job and talk to people and that I pray with people. It doesn't make a lot of these kind of calluses. Different kind of calluses, but not these kind. I know what it means to work, though. I've worked construction. I've worked hard. Might I suggest that hard work might be 
one of the highest values that we have. One of the highest. I'm not sure I'm willing to say it's the highest, but I think for some people, hard work is the highest virtue that they espouse in their life. If someone doesn't work hard, you have big question marks about that person, don't you? And the question marks are all through that person's life. Get a job, right? I mean, seriously, if you can't get a job right now, you are not trying, right? Get a job. Don't live off the government. Don't be lazy. And just consider that one of the worst things you could say about someone would be to call them lazy. I mean, to, to call someone lazy, that's like, that's like an, a pretty big insult, isn't it? Like, you would only reserve that insult for someone that's really not doing well, right? You know, a few weeks ago, I preached on the seven L's of husband hunting. Some of you were taking notes. Um, I hope Maddie was taking notes. She needed that one sooner than we expected. Too late now. Fair enough. The seven L's of husband, hopefully not too late, still, still applicable. The seven L's of husband hunting, right? One of the L's, in fact, the third L, do you remember it? Does he labor? Do you remember that one? And I quoted the verse that's on the screen right now. I quoted that in that sermon. But you may also remember that in that same section of does he labor, I quoted this verse as well. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You see, an understanding of labor is not just hard work. To labor God's way, you must understand that this verse and the previous one go together. Now, when I was doing that sermon on the seven L's, I kind of just said that and then I moved on to the next thing. You see, a wise man pursues the biblical rhythms of work and rest. I said that. But now, today, I've been led by God, I, I hope, I feel, to expand on this idea of Sabbath. I've never in 17 years of ministry, I've never preached an entire sermon just on Sabbath until today. Would you pray with me? God, this has got to be you. It cannot be me. It's got to be your word speaking to us. I don't have the words. Speak, Holy Spirit, through your word, and may we understand in maybe a new way what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask for grace as I begin this message. My entire life, I have had problems with the concept of Sabbath. There's a reason I haven't preached on it for 17 years. Because I don't understand it very well. Because I understand very well, hard work equals that's good. Lazy equals that's bad. But I have had trouble with how Sabbath fits into that. I come from a family that works hard. Like, I, I don't know if my parents know how to vacation. They just work. My parents are watching right now. When they come to my house, do you know what they do? 
They work. Now, I know this is like a love language thing, acts of service. Like, my, my 79-year-old dad can out-chainsaw me in Buckthorn. Why is that? Because I'm a pansy, right? <laughs> but, I mean, come on. This guy knows how to work. Do you know how to work that way? But what about Sabbath? Do you know how to Sabbath as well as you know how to work? Oh, wouldn't it be better to actually know how to Sabbath better than you know how to work? Hmm. But what's up with this Sabbath thing? You see, here's the problem. Talking about Sabbath is it's kind of like talking about a loaded question. You see, I've noticed in Luke, have you noticed that as we've been going through Luke, like over and over, Jesus is doing stuff on the Sabbath that is irritating the Pharisees. Did you notice that? The whole thing about the lady that was crippled, remember that? And Jesus is like, in your face, Pharisee. I mean, I'm going to heal this person on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees were freaking out and all this kind of stuff, right? This whole idea of Sabbath is a loaded question. And according to Jesus, the Sabbath itself was not a negative thing. But how the Pharisees viewed it was wrong. Now, this is tricky because... Jesus had a way of going about the Sabbath that didn't match with the Pharisees. And yet in my whole life, when I think about what it means to work hard, I look a whole lot more like a Pharisee than Jesus. Do you? A whole lot more like a Pharisee than Jesus. I mean, look at, look at Mark chapter 2, verses 27 and 28. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for us. Not the other way around. These are the words of Jesus. Now, this is tricky because the Pharisees took the Sabbath and turned it into a legal requirement. Something we had to do, an obligation. And Jesus is saying, don't you understand? The Sabbath is not an obligation. It's for you. It's for us. But what is it? Well, We know from Luke that the concept of Sabbath can be very divisive. And it can be twisted into a legalistic form that is not of God. We must be careful. Could I say that again? The Sabbath can be very divisive and it can be twisted into a legalistic form that is not of God. That's what we have been learning from Jesus in the Gospel of Luke about the Sabbath. So we got to be careful when we talk about this. It's probably one of the reasons I haven't preached on it, because it's like a landmine. It's like walking through a field of landmines when you try to talk about the Sabbath, because intertwined into the Sabbath is our understanding of what it means to work hard. And that's a huge landmine in our culture, isn't it? Isn't it? Okay. I'm going to need to do a little bit of something here that might be boring. Are you okay with a little bit of boring? No, you're not. No, you're not. But you're going to have to deal with it anyways. All right, so there's a very important question. This is going to be quick, but it's important. And this is something, so it's not so boring, you might want to write it down. I'm going to tell you six things. You might want to write these six things down. They might be a little boring, but it's worth it. It's worth it, I hope. Because there's a very important question that all Christians should be able to answer, 
But almost no Christians can answer this question. Okay? So, here's the question. You ready for this? How do the laws in the Old Testament apply to New Testament Christians? How do the laws in the Old Testament apply to New Testament Christians? Now, that seems on the surface like a pretty easy question. Oh, but it is not. You want to talk about walking through a field of landmines? Let's start talking about this. Which of the Old Testament laws don't apply to Christians? And which of them do? You can get into some real sacred cows real quick having this discussion. Like people can get angry. So, I want to give you six ways of knowing how to answer that question. This comes from the book, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. I've talked about this book in the past. It's been a few years, but I've led studies through this book. It's very helpful to understanding how to interpret Scripture appropriately in context. Okay? So, there's six things I'm going to tell you about how to do this. Remember, the question is, how do the laws in the Old Testament apply to New Testament Christians? And this definitely has a lot to do with our understanding of Sabbath. Number one. The Old Testament is a covenant. That seems pretty straightforward. I've said this before, and if you're a KFC family, if you go to KFC family, kids, some of what I'm going to say next, you're going to be like, I learned that in KFC family. That's good. Things connect. That's good. So here you go. The Old Testament is a covenant. By the way, what does the word testament mean? It's a covenant. By the way, only like, like maybe 2% of Christians actually know that the word testament means covenant. They know, I'm like, what, what's the Bible? It has two parts, Old Testament and New Testament. And then you say, well, that was pretty good. Now, what's the word testament mean? And they go, I don't know. <laughs> yes, this is what they do. What they do. Looks just like that. So, covenant. The Old Testament is a covenant. Number two. This is where it gets a little dicey. The Old Testament is not our covenant. And this is where you start going, where are you going with this, Pastor Jason? The Old Testament is not our testament. Let me read a quote from the book. We should assume, in fact, that none of its stipulations are binding on us unless they are renewed in the new covenant. A covenant is a contract. So if you've got a contract for someone to fix your roof, if you get a new contract to fix the roof, you go by the stipulations of the new contract, not the old one, when you're fixing the roof. The concept itself is not really that tricky, right? But there's a whole lot of, I mean, like 3,000 years of extenuating circumstances when we're talking about this, right? Old Testament, New Testament. The Old Testament is not our covenant. Number three, if I haven't lost you already, nobody's left yet that I can tell but could happen. Number three, two kinds of old covenant stipulations 
have clearly not been renewed in the new covenant. Those two things are, number one, Israelite civil laws, and number two, Israelite ritual laws. So the civil laws are the laws of the Old Testament that carried with them a civil penalty. So like, if you do this, you owe this person that much. Like there's, a, there's like crime and punishment. Okay? So those laws of the Old Testament are not renewed in the New Testament. And then the, the ritual laws, that's basically the entire book of Leviticus. These are like the laws that govern how the Old Testament Israelite priests did the sacrifices. Now, we know that those don't apply anymore because Jesus replaced the sacrificial system. We don't slaughter bulls on the altar anymore, right? Because Jesus is the final sacrifice. So, we don't do any of those ritual laws anymore because of Jesus. Number four, part of the old covenant is renewed in the new covenant, These are the ethical laws that are restated in the New Testament. So let me give you an example. The best example is the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus is literally quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 5 in the first part of it and Leviticus chapter 19 verse 18 in the second part of it. Like, we know that that's in the New Covenant because Jesus literally quoted them, literally restated them for the New Covenant. Makes sense, right? This isn't that tricky, is it? Number five. All of the Old Testament law is still the Word of God for us, even though it is not still the command of God to us. All of the Old Testament law is still the word of God for us, even though it is not still the command of God to us. And this is where you shift uncomfortably in your seats. And you've got strange looks on your face right now. I mean, really, this isn't that tricky. Let me just give you an example. There's a law in, in, um, in the Old Testament, I think it's the book of Numbers, where it says that, you are, if you have a house with two stories, you are supposed to dig a trench around your house and fill it with water. It's a law. Do you do that? So are you sinning because you don't do that? Of course not. That law doesn't apply to us anymore. It's a civil law that was in place because... If you, fell off, if you had a guest at your house and they fell off the roof, they wouldn't die. They would land in the water. We don't have that issue anymore. Okay? It's not... Oh, here's another good one in Deuteronomy. Do not cook a goat in its mother's milk. Doesn't apply to us anymore. Right? It's a civil law. It has a penalty after it. And... The reason for that one was because that was a practice of the pagans around them and they were being holy, not practicing pagan practices, okay? That's not an issue for us. That law, it still helps us understand, though. Do you want to know another one? Do not get tattoos. 
Easy. (laughs) It's an Old Testament law. And the reason behind the law was because if you got a tattoo, the people that got tattoos at the Old Testament times were doing it because they were worshiping other gods. The tattoos were marks that they were pagans. And so the Israelites were supposed to be kept separate from that. And so they didn't get tattoos. And there was a law. Israelites were not allowed to get tattoos. There is no regulation against tattoos in the New Testament. Therefore, tattoos are okay. Now, if you get a flaming goat skull that says Satan is Lord, I've got a problem with you. Right? Good. Because now you're, you're giving your allegiance, because the law itself says don't give your allegiance to someone else than God, right? But if you've got a tattoo that says I'm Satan is Lord, that's not okay. Do you see that? That's not of Jesus. But having the tattoo itself is not the issue. Do you see that? Because the Old Testament law does not apply in the New Covenant. It's a different contract. Everybody got that? Number six, and this is the last one. Only that which is explicitly renewed from the Old Testament law can be considered part of the New Testament law of Christ. Only that which is explicitly renewed from the Old Testament law can be considered part of the New Testament law of Christ. The Ten Commandments fit in that category. The Ten Commandments, in lots of different ways, can be shown to be renewed in the New Testament. Except for one. So what is the Sabbath? I got you on that last one, didn't I? Stay with me. Let me explain it all the way. What is the Sabbath? In Hebrew, it's Shabbat. So if you ever hear um, um, Jews talking about Shabbat, Shabbat is Sabbath. That's what the word means in Hebrew. The Hebrew word Shabbat, um, a lot of times we translate that word. Most people translate the word um, rest. But that's not technically correct. And I'm going to explain why in a second. Because Shabbat actually is, is more accurately translated as to cease, to stop. Sabbath means to stop. A good definition for the day of Sabbath is the day that stops. That's a good definition for Sabbath. The day that stops. Now, the word Shabbat can also be translated, like, you know how words have, like, different layers of translation. It can also mean to rest, to celebrate, to reflect, or to be complete. All of those are like the range of meaning for the word Sabbath. But the basic meaning, and I want you to get this, the basic meaning of the Hebrew word Sabbath, Shabbat, is cessation, to stop. Now, the Sabbath, we know from Scripture, and the Jewish practice all through history up to today, 
Sabbath means the seventh day of the week. In the Israelite way of keeping track of days and weeks, Shabbat is the seventh day of the week. And in, in Israel, for Jews, the seventh day of the week is actually Saturday. Sunday, in Jewish understanding and in Old Testament understanding, Sunday is the first day of the week, not Monday. Sunday is the first day of the week. Shabbat is the last day of the week. Now, there's two primary, primary ideas you got to get. The first is this. Number one, no work is to be done on this, this day. This is an Old Testament understanding. No work is to be done on that day. And number two, it is to be observed regularly on the seventh day of the week. Those are the two primary Jewish understandings of the word Shabbat. No work. It happens on day seven. Now, the origins of this idea come from the creation narrative itself. Okay, so I'm done with the boring part, so you guys can wake up again. You're getting a little rough. It's getting a little rough. I can see it in your eyes. Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 through 3. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now, here's the problem with putting verses on the screen. For the few of you who are actually looking in your Bible, if you look on your Bible, after the word rest, there's a little footnote. Anybody want to look in your Bible and see what the footnote says? A little note. On the bottom it says, after the word rest, it says cease in the footnote. Because in Hebrew, rest and cease are both definitions of Shabbat, like I've just said. So when you, when you use the screen like this, you don't see the footnotes, and the footnotes are important. They're called text notes, and they matter. Now, I'm going to move quickly here. Uh, I've got a challenging idea for you that might change your entire idea of Sabbath. Okay? So that's the creation story, the end of the creation story. You ready for this challenging idea? You don't look ready. Here it is. Did God need to rest? Uh oh. Uh oh. You've always thought that the seventh day was a day of rest, didn't you? But God doesn't need to rest. Now, instead of rest, put the word cease in there. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he ceased from all his work. God doesn't need to rest. Now, for sure, God did this to set a pattern for us. And that's what we usually say. God rested on the seventh day, so we should rest on the seventh day. But God doesn't need to rest. Instead, he ceased. He ceased because God doesn't need rest. So let me ask you another question. A way you've never thought about Sabbath before is what I'm going into, are I not? If God ceased from the work of creation, what was he doing on the seventh day? Hmm. Might I suggest that he was reflecting on the goodness of creation? He was enjoying it. 
He was relaxing in it because it was good. And it was worth doing that. It was worth ceasing from his work to reflect upon it. That's different than resting. Now that has huge implications for what we think about Sabbath, doesn't it? (laughs) Wow. I'm not going to get through all of that. I want you to notice something, and we'll have to end when we end. The word Sabbath is not in the Genesis passage. You see that? That's interesting. Because the first place in the Bible that the word Sabbath is mentioned is Exodus chapter 16, verse 23. All the way to Exodus chapter 16. You can go to that one, Mike. That's the first time the word Sabbath is in there. And this is, this is when the people were gathering manna in the wilderness. They were gathering manna, and this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Or if you look at your text note, a day of ceasing. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. They were supposed to not gather manna on the Sabbath. They were supposed to cease from their gathering of manna. That's the first place that the word Sabbath is in the Bible. It's not even in Genesis. Anywhere. Now look at the next verse is Exodus 20. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. What is that? Come on, KFC family. Where is, what is that? It's the Ten Commandments. Did you know that the Ten Commandments are in two places in Scripture? One's in Exodus 20 and the other's in Deuteronomy 5. And I, I would challenge you to look at both of those passages because they're not exactly the same. And I don't have time to look at it, but it's worth you going home and comparing the two passages about Sabbath in the Ten Commandments. So what happens, because this is the Ten Commandments, for the Old Testament people of Israel, this was the law. Do you know what happens if you break this law? Well, let me show you. Exodus 31. Do you, think about it. What, what, do you think would be a, what do you think would be a right punishment for breaking the Sabbath? What do you think? Let's look and see what it actually is. Exodus 31, 14 through 15. Observe the Sabbath because it is holy to you. Anyone who desecrates it must be put to death. You still want the Old Testament law to apply to you today in the same way? Do you or don't you? Because which is it going to be? You don't get to pick and choose which ones are going to be. Because I know, like, well, we don't like tattoos because we know it says don't do tattoos in the Bible. And we're going to have a stern talking to with Mr. Jeremiah. Stern talking to. But I'm going to go water skiing. Or I'm, but I am going to go in my field on the Sabbath and harvest my crop. Really? That's what you're going to do? Why do you get to keep some of them, but not all of them? And now we've gotten into a part of Scripture that people don't like to talk about because they've got their own little special things they like to hold on to. 
Tattoos is one of them. I don't like people with tattoos. Because the Bible says don't have tattoos. Yeah, it says it in the Old Testament. For the purpose of not worshiping pagan idols. But I'm going to go ahead and work on the Sabbath because hard work's a virtue. Ouch. Just gotcha, didn't I? Wasn't me. That's God. That's God. So, yikes. The death penalty for violating the Sabbath. Woo, gotta love it. So here's a book of the Bible you don't like to spend a lot of time in. Leviticus. Yay. KFC family. KFC family. Why is it called Leviticus? Autumn. Because the Levites. It's called Leviticus because it's about the Levites. Autumn, gold star. It's about the Levites. Who else got it? Somebody else get that? Easton, you got it. You're a Yeah, I got it. So it's about the Levites. You see that? It's a book about the priestly tribe of Levi. It's super boring to read. It totally is. Because it's part of the Old Covenant. And it's part of the Old Covenant. Most of it is the ritual law that doesn't apply directly to Christians anymore. So it's really hard to like get in it and really like it. Hey, this grain offering is supposed to be dumped out three times. Woo! But there is a chapter I want you to read. I was planning on reading it all. But I don't have time to read hardly any of it. Leviticus chapter 25. Just take a look. I'll read the first paragraph. The Lord said to Moses on Mount Sinai, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When you enter the land I am going to give you, the land itself must observe a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years sow your fields, and for six years prune your vineyards and gather their crops. But in the seventh year the land is to have a Sabbath of rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. Do not sow your fields or prune your vineyards. Do not reap what grows of itself or harvest the grapes of your untended vines. The land is to have a year of rest. Whatever the land yields during the Sabbath year will be food for you, for yourself, your manservant, and your maidservant, and the hired worker and temporary resident who live among you, as well as for your livestock and the wild animals in your land. Whatever the land produces may be eaten. Okay, for all of you that think that all of the Old Testament laws should apply to New Testaments today, all you farmers out there that think that, then tell me why every seventh year you still plant your crops. Tell me. I'd love to know. If you think that that's the way that you're supposed to read this, then explain to me how you're in violation of the seventh year Sabbath law. The answer is because that's part of the old covenant, not the new. Now, I told you that even though, you remember what I said before? I said before, all of the Old Testament law is still the word of God for us, even though it's not still the command of God to us. In other words, we can still learn from this, even though we're not underneath the obligation of that law. Did everybody get that? There is much to learn from God telling the Israelites, you need to take a Sabbath once a week. And then God said in Leviticus 25, and you need to take a Sabbath year once every seven years. Now, if you read the rest of Leviticus 25 and the chapters around it, it's not just that they were to leave the fields fallow. They were also supposed to like release slaves and cancel debt and do all kinds of different things. And then if you keep reading Leviticus 25, it talks about the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee is every seven years of seven, 
you have a special year. So on the 50th year, you have a special year in which all land returned to the original owners. In which all slaves were released. In which all debt was forgiven. And the entire land of Israel started over from scratch. Every 50th year. The year after the seven sevens. So, the Sabbath is more than just every seven days. It is, in fact, also every seven years. And, in fact, in the Old Testament law, it's every seven-seventh year. Everybody get that? And it's all about ceasing. Ceasing. What are we supposed to do with this today? Because I just made a big deal about telling you that the Old Testament law doesn't apply to Christians today. It doesn't apply directly as a law we have to follow, but it is helpful to us. It is still God's word that instructs us. Do you understand that? So I can still learn from the fact that the Israelites were not supposed to get tattoos. What I learn is we are not supposed to mark our body in such a way that it shows allegiance to somebody other than God. That's what I learn. Did you get that? So what do we learn from all this Sabbath stuff? Well, a couple tricky things. Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 17. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Did you get that? You don't get to judge anybody for how they use their Sabbath. That's New Testament. That applies directly to us. We are obligated under the law of Christ to follow that command. And that command says, you don't get to judge anybody for how they use their Sabbath. That's what that law says. That's quite different than if somebody disobeys the Sabbath, you kill them. I'd say that's different. Yes, it's different. And then Romans 14, 5 through 6. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord. For he gives thanks to God, and he who abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. So let me be abundantly clear as residents of the new covenant. Can I be very clear? It is not a sin to follow the Sabbath any way you want to. Told you it was going to be a tough one. Because some of you have had ingrained in your life that to disobey the Sabbath is a punishable offense. It's not. Because we live in the new covenant, not the old. And what that means, if you just look at that, you need to be convinced in your own mind and heart what the right thing to do is. And you're not allowed to judge other people if they do the Sabbath differently than you. That is the new covenant. Now, (laughs) what do we learn from the Old Testament Sabbath? This is, this is the whole thing right here. Very important. There is definitely advantages to ceasing. 
There are definitely advantages to a rhythm of taking a break or a cease from work in order to do something else. Now, this is where we've got to be super careful because we can totally end up as Pharisees once again. Because as Pharisees, what we do when we hear that, I, I'm going to take a break from work, but I need to do something else. Okay, give me the list. What do I got to do? Okay, number one, go to church. If I go to church, I'm doing good on the Sabbath. And you know what? Most Christians, that's where they end with Sabbath understanding. Right? I went to church. Check the box. I did it. I'm a good Christian. I am doing my Sabbath correctly. I've used that one. Multiple people use this. It's, it's a thing. The Sabbath is about ceasing, not about doing. But we are supposed to be doing something. And this is where it gets tricky, right? So let me give you two quick analogies. I know you guys are sticking with me. I need you to stick with me because I'm not going to be here next week. I need you to stick with me, please. I want to give you two analogies of what the Sabbath maybe could be for you. These might be life-changing. Here's the first analogy. I took these from the book, A Work of Heart by Reggie McNeil. He's got a whole chapter on Sabbath. It's really good stuff. Here we go. The first image is that of a married couple who continues to date after the wedding. Does that sound anything like the way you've been practicing Sabbath? If it's not, if Sabbath to you has just been doing a checklist of things, pay attention. You're doing it wrong. And it's damaging to your soul. Sabbath is not a checklist of things to do. One way of looking at Sabbath is of a married couple who continues to date after the wedding. By the way, this is what you're supposed to do if you're married. (laughs) If you don't do that, first of all, um, you need to do that. We need to do that more. So, some dates after you get married are super romantic. I mean, they are steamy, right? Sometimes, hey, marriage is good. I've been saying that as as a youth pastor, you're supposed to say that, right? Marriage is great. You're going to love it. Okay? It made Landon leave. Sorry, Landon. No, it's, I didn't mean to offend you. Okay? Okay? Marriage, sometimes after you get married, you, you have some steamy dates. They're good. You're like, yes, this is what I was thinking all my life. Yeah, this is another one. Yes, I was hoping marriage would be like this. I dreamt of it for years. Okay, yes, that is some of the dates you have when you're married. Okay, but you know what some other dates when you're married are? They're taking your Google Calendar out and figuring out what's happening next week. Some of your dates, you're just walking around Walmart. You're like... Do you want, like, Captain Crunch or Crunch Berries? I'm going to have to think about that for another aisle. Like, I mean, that's what some of your dates are, right? There's, like, all kinds of dates. And some of the dates are, are like, not super passionate romantic, and they're not just mundane like the calendar. Some of the dates are, like, dreaming dates. These are, like, when you drive somewhere, you don't even care where you're going. You're going for the drive so you can talk together with your wife or your husband about what your next vacation is going to be. I love those dates. Karen and I drive places sometimes just to talk about what should we do? Where should we go? What should we do together? And then we get in an argument and end up probably talking about our children. 
right? Some of that is part of this, right? But the dating after you get married, that's how the relationship is kept together. Like that's how, I'm, you're learning about your spouse and all of these dates. Sometimes you learn steamy things. Sometimes you learn normal things. Sometimes you learn about what your spouse is dreaming about, right? That is Sabbath with God. Sabbath is supposed to be a time of exploration of your relationship with the Almighty who loves you, who wants to be in relationship with you, who wants to still date you even though you've already said yes to the marriage vow. That's the new covenant. Marriage vow. Did you get that? Connects together. Right? New covenant. Is, it means Sabbath is the time of intentional dating of your God. And some of the dates are hot and steamy. We call those like worship, the kind when you cry. Some of those dates are super mundane. They're like, God, I don't know what's next, but I think I'm supposed to go to this college, but I'm not sure if it's supposed to be that college. Right? Those are times of Sabbath. Sabbath is supposed to be a purposeful time you set aside to date God. It's not a time where you check a box off because you went to church on Sunday. All right. Second one, I know I'm going way too long. Second one, try a different image for Sabbath. In this analogy, God is the divine coach. So, do you know when a football team plays on Friday night, the coach is down there coaching, the players are playing, but somewhere up in the stands, somebody is, is recording the game, right? They're, they're making film. Do you know what coaches do on Saturday morning? At least good coaches. On Saturday morning, coaches break down the film, right? They look at the plays that happened the night before, and they say, wow, that play did not go well, and then they look because the tight end didn't block down like he was supposed to, right? That's what some of the film study is. But then other film study is like, this, is a, this play works so great. Look how good this worked. We need to emphasize this strength next week. It's a film study. And then the players come in and the, the coach breaks down the film with them to show them where they're strong and where they're weak and how they can do the next week better. So they reflect on the last week so that they can improve the next week. Sabbath. Sabbath is a film study with God. I'm just, all of the Adams' kids, I'm, I'm ruining. I'm ruining. I'm sorry. The football analogy was too much, Brendan. Sorry. It's film study. Sabbath is a time of reflecting about what, how you did the last week, where you can improve, but also the coach wants to pour into you and say, look where you're strong. Look how good that week was. Look how good you did. And sometimes things come up in that Sabbath time that you didn't realize. Just came up with me today. My son was home for spring break. It came, this actually was last night when I was thinking about Sabbath. My son came home for spring break this week, and I have been irritated by him. Irritated. I've asked him, you've you got to write this scholarship thing. You've got to do it because the deadline is April 1st, and you're not getting it done. Why don't you do it? And I was totally nagging him. Right? But at the time, I was just like, why are you just being so irresponsible? Like, it's $3,000. Like, you've got to do this. Like, get on it. And he's just like, yeah, I don't think I need to listen to you right now. And he, That's how he walked. I mean, it was bad. I mean, we were like, we were like this. We were like that, right? In my time of Sabbath, the Lord was like, yeah, you see that play? You see that play with your son? You didn't do that right. You need to fix that. 
So last night, as Karen and I took Ryan out for his last meal before he drives back to Anderson, he's on the road right now, the first thing I did when he got in the car was I apologized for the way I'd been nagging him because of my Sabbath time with the Lord. Sabbath is not coming to church. Sabbath Sabbath is about an intentional time of reconnecting with God in a dating relationship, letting him speak life into you. Sometimes that life means showing you what you could do better, but oftentimes that life means showing you where you're strong so you can do it even better the next week. That's Sabbath. And there's a rhythm to it, weekly, every seven years, every 50. Now, that's not a law we have to follow. It's not an obligation we have as the new covenant, but it is a pattern that shows us the way to life, the way to reflection with God, the way to rejuvenating our soul with God. And it is why we are considering as a church a sabbatical policy. It's about Sabbath. This policy is about Sabbath. I've been your pastor for 16 years. I've never taken a Sabbath. I need one. Thanks for listening. Thank you, God, for your word. And I know it's complicated. I know sometimes it seems like, how are we supposed to make heads or tails of this? Why, why did you have to make it an Old Testament and a New Testament? It just seems so difficult. And sometimes we've been told things our whole life, and it's like, God, was I told wrong my whole life? What, do I need to reevaluate all of this? And as we come face to face with you, Holy Spirit, the answer is, yeah, sometimes we do. Help us, God to put away what we want to bring into Scripture and to only take out from it what you have for us. It is my sincere prayer that our church understands that hard work is good, but Sabbath is even better. In Jesus' name, amen.